Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. Today is the day you will lose fat. Come see Dr. T at NJ Diet. Easiest diet I've ever done. It's changed my life. Come see Dr. T. Using blood work and DNA testing. 1-855-5-NJ-DIET and njdiet.com. Change your life in only 40 days with NJ Diet. O-G. He's the host of the Netflix series Hip Hop Evolution. He's an MC who I didn't know much about prior to this, but I'm glad I now I know about him. I feel every each of his albums are hip hop quotables. Uh, he just released his newest album, a short story about a war he shot, and I want to welcome him to the Library of Tomanico. Thanks for joining me. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Cool. I want to start with a question that I heard you ask in the trailer for season two mm-hmm. of uh, Hip Hop Evolution. And that question was, what was your first taste of hip hop? Mm. My first taste of hip hop was probably a Canadian artist that you guys may or may not know. He goes by Maestro Fresh West. I've interviewed him. Yes. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. Maestro. He is great. Uh, great guy, a uh, great artist. And in Canada, he's our godfather, like 100%, 100%. So he had some um, big hits when I was just a little kid, maybe six, seven years old. So. Those are my earliest memories of hip hop. Uh, he had one hit song called "Let Your Backbone Slide" that was like a massive hit in Canada, um, and a huge anomaly in that sense because if you listen to the song, it is like hip hop. It's very hip hop. It's not Ice Ice Baby. It's like Big Daddy Kane mm-hmm. sounding, Rakim sounding, like hard raps, hard drums, and it was a huge hit. Um, so that's probably my first taste of hip hop. Would you say that he had has he has had the kind of the biggest impact on you as an artist, or is that someone else? Yeah, I wouldn't say he's had the biggest impact of anyone, but definitely that initial impact of just seeing an artist. Uh, well, you know, a hit rap song like really has a hip hop energy, and uh, to come into my life, and then in other ways too. You know, he was you know, coming to learn that he's a Canadian artist and the way that he represented the kind of black Canadian experience in his music was influential for sure. But um, yeah, I wouldn't say he's like the the top of my list of influences just because I encountered his music way younger. You mm-hmm. know, I would say the artists that I heard in high school were more influential. With those Canadian artists as well? or is that- uh, No, I would, I would probably point to like the first uh, instances of hearing common 
Lauryn Hill, Outkast, those would be, you know, the most formative, like, musical experiences of, of my life in terms of impact on my career. Uh, the Netflix series, Hip Hop Evolution, uh, not just takes the viewer through a journey of hip hop, it obviously takes yourself through your own journey of hip hop. Um, so, so for you, what has been kind of the, the most surprising, I guess, story that you heard, something that you might have had a, had a, had a pre-notion about what could have yeah. been totally wrong? Yeah. Or like what has stood out for you? Um, well, there's a, there's a guy in uh, the first season, DJ Hollywood, that I didn't know about, and I actually think a lot of hip-hop heads maybe didn't know about, um, who uh, was just the biggest DJ in New York um, in this, in, at in a certain time in the 70s, and, uh, you know, pioneering in terms of rap, like what we understand as rap, you know, he's like a pioneer. And that was news to me. I didn't know about that. You know, he was from Harlem and what, the the, the uh, story that we often hear is about the Bronx and mm -hmm. of course rightfully so um, so uh, that was that was new to me um, trying to think of other things I mean a lot of the other learning too is uh, it's a different kind of learning for me it's like more the physical visceral learning of being in a, in a place right being in the Bronx and feeling the energy of that place and the the mix of cultures that produced hip-hop and actually having contact with it and kind of getting to know it on that level has been a big part of what I've learned too. Uh, in the trailer for season two, uh, Q-Tip talks about Nas and obviously Nas, Illmatic. I mean, what more can you say, right? Mm -hmm. uh, one thing Q-Tip says in the trailer, he says uh, Nas was in a sense true, quote-unquote, true hip-hop. What is the definition of true hip-hop in this sense? Yeah, I think I, I know what he means, you know. Uh, part of the reason why Illmatic is held in such high regard, I think, is because it's still, in the minds of music fans and hip-hop heads, that is essentially hip-hop. You know, this young, gritty, wise poet and beats that are grimy and soulful. That's essentially hip hop. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Uh, so I think that's kind of like what he means. And I, I do think that that remains like the essential elements of, you know, what you would call hip hop are those things. There's something that happens in, and I should have wrote this question down, but there's something that happens during your interview with, in the Grandmaster Kaz episode, the, uh, the underground to the mainstream episode. Uh, where they talk about the the famous battle, uh, but then they talk about, and then 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 there's a Rodney Dangerfield uh, rapping, right? And and the idea being is that rap became easy for people. Mm -hmm. uh, you fast forward today, it's the most successful genre now, most popular genre. Yeah, you have you know YouTube stars, you have SoundCloud producers, et cetera, et cetera. Is that the, is rapping just as easy now as it was when the Rodney Dangerfield dropped an album? I mean, does yeah, it feel that way? Yeah, I never really thought about that, but uh, in a sense, yes. You know, in the sense that um, there was a time, you know, as hip hop was developing and artists were um, like artists were expanding the boundaries of the genre and developing and like making the genre more sophisticated and more elevated where like you had to be great to be involved um people listened for greatness mm -hmm. in 
of a certain kind. And now that's not what people listen for. Uh, what a lot of, it's not what a lot of people listen for. So in a sense, yeah, because rap is essentially easy. Right. Like it is essentially easy. To be great at it is hard. Um, but it is essentially easy. And there's something nice about that in the sense that like it means that anyone can use it to express themselves. Right. I theoretically, you know, if you have rhythm which every human being is supposed to have and, you know, uh language which most human beings have too. You should be able to do it. But um yeah, to be great at it is is hard. And uh, there was a time, especially as like the genre developed probably like in the 90s or whatever, like y- you had to be great. I mean, the standard, you know, we brought up Illmatic. Illmatic raised the bar. You had to approach that level of rapping. Rappers before that were like, well, I have to get way better. Right. You know, and the same thing happened with Rakim. It's like we interviewed DMC about Rakim. And I said, what did you think when you heard Rakim? He's like, I knew we were done. You know, like that's how the genre evolved. But then at a certain point, I think you reach a creative apex. It's like, can you rap better than Black Thought? No. You can rap as good as Black Thought. You can't rap better. No. You can rap as good as Eminem. You can't rap better. You can rap as good as Andre 3000. You can't rap better. So rapping great is no longer like the thing that you have to do in order to be heard. So, yeah, in a sense, I think you're right. I never really thought about that parallel to back then, but I think that's pretty accurate was you do you flashed and he talks about blondie mm-hmm. um and she does a, a rap uh was there i didn't see it and and you know it wasn't talked about in the interview but was there a sense when she did the rap that it was too easy as you know another yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of same comparison as a rodney dangerfield or was that well it was interesting of- getting people's perspectives on it because like i was probably not born at the time that that song came out but it's interesting getting people's perspective on it because what it what it seems like that was um, less of what you're describing and more like a really cool moment where hip hop came into the mainstream a little bit. Mm-hmm. It got a certain level of exposure and the song to a lot of the people we talked to was like a tribute, you know, to rap music and uh, the product of hip hop coming downtown and commingling with the with the punk scene and the right. new wave scene and everything. So. Everyone we talked to seemed to suggest it was like a tribute and a really cool moment and less uh, like what it might sound like to us now. Right. Like, <laughs> not great. Right. You know? um, as I, I want to, of course, talk about your music. But um, when you talk to Grandmaster Kaz, uh, you also talk to Kane, Kumo, Kumo D. Kane talks about how he, he ripped up his his whatever, his pad, because mm-hmm. he's like, he's like, I'm doing what the fuck am I doing here? You know, that type of. Yeah. Um, and we talk about our comedians talk about comedians, comedians um, through this mm-hmm. journey of for you. Has there been like one common mm-hmm. MC MC? Oh, that, that's, like, that's cool. Um, one guy that comes up a lot. Hmm, that's a great question. I mean, it's a lot of the same names tend to come up. You know what I mean? These guys like Rakim or Nas that, that really changed the game. Um, Kane um, comes up a lot. Kaz comes up a lot. Uh, Melly Mel comes up a lot. A name that uh, maybe not everybody talks about as much anymore is Slick Rick. Oh, God, yeah. Huge Incredible. influence. Huge, huge influence. Yeah, um, I think we tried to line up an interview with him, but we didn't get it. But 
you know, everyone from Jay-Z to Andre 3000 to, you know, you name it, they cite Slick Rick as like a huge influence. The storytelling, the swagger, the humor. Um, I think he's, uh, what would I call him, you know, uh, on the tree of MCs, he's one of those main first branches, right? right? And people branch off from him. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's an MC's MC for sure. That's come up a lot in interviews. Yeah, Joel Ortiz has a great line in uh, his song "Hip Hop," and then its line is "Slick Talk to the Track." Who brought that to the game? And you're like, yeah, good point. <laughs> exactly. um, you uh, on, on the the Strombo show. Mm-hmm. You you did a cover of De La Soul Stakes High, uh, but with your own own lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, what has been De La Soul's impact on you as an artist? Mm-hmm. But then. The bigger picture, what has been their impact on hip hop music and hip hop culture? Yeah. Uh, well, their impact on me, uh, again, like I'm a little bit, I'm not young, but I'm younger than, you know, maybe some of their fans that were around when they put out their first three albums. Um, so I really actually encountered them with Stakes is High. And the impact of that album on me was like, it was one of my first times hearing a certain level of lyricism. I didn't know people could do that with lyrics. Some of the wordplay in there, um, trying to think of on stakes as high specifically, but he says something like, um, uh, you know, uh, neighborhoods are now hoods because nobody's neighbors. <laughs> you know? Uh, and, he, and he goes on, there's so much great, like, you know, wordplay and describing the situation really poignantly. So as a like 15, 16 year old, just that grew up watching music videos and I love it all, you know, it's all fun and Michael Jackson, black or white video, it's all cool. (laughs) But then, you know, you see a video and you're like, wow, they're saying something special. So that was part of like the impact on me. And then going back and, and learning about what they represented and their aesthetic. And so, for a kid like me that didn't necessarily relate to um, what else else was popular at the time in hip hop, like maybe Wu Tang or like DMX or mm-hmm. something, like, didn't feel like that's off, like who I was. Artists like that meant a lot to me. So um, I'd say in those two ways, you know, De La Soul is very influential on me, and I I would say in those same ways on hip hop. You know, they're very um, hip hop and very great. Um, but pre- just kind of broadened the picture of what hip-hop could be. Uh, during an interview, you were talking about uh, lyrics and writing lyrics for albums, uh, and you said you wait for a lyrical idea that surprises you before mm-hmm. writing. Uh, what does that mean? And yeah. where are you when this... Is there a place yeah. that you're yeah. driving? You're, I don't know, yeah. you know, walking around that this hits you? And how, does this, how does this work? Yeah, well, um, you write? I been trying to write a lyric yeah. since college and okay, okay. have been failing do you write lovely. do you write other things or uh, i mean ba- you know like okay. basic like just write to write nothing okay. like but you know but also the same thing thing of questions or you know interview questions yeah. or stuff like that yeah yeah i i think what i mean by something that surprises me i'm just like asking because maybe you relate to this but like um i guess i'm always looking for something that feels like better than me mm-hmm. do you know what i mean like uh I don't know. Surprise is a big part of entertainment. And so if something surprises me, I think it can surprise somebody else. If it's something that I feel like, it's weird to say this about yourself, but if it's something I feel like, oh, I could have come up with that, 
It's weird. Like I'm still coming up with something, right? right. But I, it, if it doesn't feel like that's something I would ordinarily come up with, then it feels like it can be surprising to a listener. So that's what I'm like looking for, and that tends to happen uh, oftentimes, like in the shower or something, um, or like in a sort of deeper level of meditation and kind of like deliberate thinking, thought, meditation, prayer, like just deeper posture of, of thought um, either or the complete opposite. Like I'm not thinking actually. Right. Those are the two situations um, that generally produce those kinds of ideas for me. And I think the common denominator is there's situations where I'm not thinking about myself. Right. That's what I think is the common denominator. I'm just not self-conscious. I think Bill Weathers said, uh, I heard him doing an interview and they asked him about a song and he said, he said how'd you come up with it? And he was like, I don't know, walking around, taking a shower. <laughs> and you're like, oh, oh okay. yeah. And you can't write a Bill Withers song. <laughs> no. You can't, you can't think about it and do it. Like, come on. You can't write Lean On Me. No, no. Not in no. a million years you can't write that song. No, no. I want to go to some of your earlier work. Uh, the Old Prince That Lives at Home. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talk about uh, the idea of being is that you can't afford this instrumental, right? Um what has been the blessing yeah. and the curse of not being able to quote unquote afford that kind of poppy, I don't know, yeah. million dollar instrumental? Yeah. Uh yeah, what, for you. Yeah, that's an interesting question. For me, um well, what I've discovered about myself is that even if I had like I don't think I'm capable of achieving like pristine sound. Like it's just not me. You know, like if people can't see me, but like I can't. Like if I were to put on a suit right now, it would just look frumpy somehow really quickly as soon as it touches me. Like it doesn't care. I don't care if it's tailored ten thousand dollar suit. It's gonna look horrible. Um, not horrible, but it's gonna feel like me. You know. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's the same way with my music. It's always gonna feel that way. And uh, so you kind of end up where you you end up where you fit in. I think to some extent like um i like i gravitate towards sounds that are a little bit old a little bit textured and uh so it just it just works for me i don't think i don't think uh, a a cleaner higher quality sound would even work for me on the same album uh nowadays you spit um and i'm gonna totally mess this up so if you want to just come in and go right ahead cool uh, and you need more than beats for a dope track, even with more hooks in a coat rack and more hotlines and 1-800 phones. That's why most cats in this rap game just don't last. Mm-hmm. It's not vocab they need. It's gonads and backbone so they can speak and not hold back. Mm-hmm. That was written in 2007. Yeah. How relevant is that lyric now? Mm. Um, and how is having a kind of a pop one hit hip in hip hop, how does that help and how does that hurt the culture? Yeah. Well, one thing actually I've learned from this series is is actually the importance of a hit, like the importance of connecting in a big way. Like we when we talked with De La Soul about um, Me, Myself, and I and how, you know, that is the biggest song in their catalog. It's a song that introduced them and their amazing creativity to a lot of people. Um, so there is definitely a place for that. Um, at the same time, I think the reason why they're still performing to this day is not because of that song. The right. reason they're still performing to this day is because they were great and they uh, were on about something and they represented something. So 
uh, I still believe in that, you know, I still believe in even in this era now of like metrics on everything. Um, metrics don't calculate the depth of your impact. You know, you can have a million listens uh, to a song, but did it touch a million people? Might not have actually touched a million people. Or you can have 10,000 listens and you touched 8,000 of those people were touched profoundly by what you said or by the sound, you know? So um, I still believe in that. Yeah. Because there's music, there's been songs like that in my life where I saw the video once when I was 10. Mm. And I'm a fan of the artist to this day. Because right. it actually impacted me, you know? Uh, hard to be black and not a hard MC. You spit on what we all want mm. um, off the old Prince album. Um, can you talk about that lyric? when yeah. you wrote it in 2007, but yeah. also how has race played a factor, a factor in your lyrical content yeah. as an artist? Yeah. Um, that line definitely touching on uh, stereotypes and marketability and these sorts of things. Um, well, that's changed quite a bit in hip hop, you know, um, the boundaries on what a rapper has to be has exp- expanded hugely. I mean, the biggest rapper the biggest rapper in the world is Drake and that's uh when Drake started circa 07 like it it, there were huge questions about his credibility and now that's not a thing that ever comes up you know so the genre has grown I think I think since then um not that there aren't still issues of representation and equality in the music and well you know outside of the, of the music but um i do think that what a rapper can be now is i mean some people would say it's almost too broad you know the <laughs> definition yeah yeah um you know we obviously talked about this hip-hop evolution series yeah. but you you dropped a new album a uh, short story about a war how has your or maybe it's the same but how has your approach Became the same or different uh, for a new album yeah. with all you've learned from yeah. this kind of journey for you with hip hop evolution. Yeah. Um, well, in a couple ways. I mean, mainly indirectly, to be honest. Like, um, I haven't learned so many like lessons, like just talking to Busta Rhymes or something, and just like learned about how to make a song better or something like that. But. Uh, I guess what I took from it was like inspiration for one thing. Um, you're just talking to, just from talking to incredible artists about incredible albums, like I felt inspired all the time. Um, but I actually think the biggest impact was indirect. Like um, just the fact of, because the last year and a half, basically I've been like filming for two weeks and then home in the studio recording for two weeks. And I actually think just that time away from recording was really helpful. Mm just getting that perspective and time away from the music. So in indirect ways like that, it's actually like been helpful. Um, there's nothing I like learned that I went to the studio and went, let me try this. Cause right. like, I don't know, Q-tip did this on low end theory or anything <laughs> like that. But, um, but the inspiration just constantly there. Yeah. So with the, I mean, with recording the series, when, well, when did the idea for the album hit you and mm-hmm. When do you have time to write anything? Yeah, yeah. Well, the the idea for the album came to me maybe like five years ago or something. But I didn't think of it as an idea for an album. I just thought of it as this interesting story that popped into my mind that stayed with me. And I just kind of kept thinking about it and it became this lens through which I saw the world and this 
perspective that was helping me figure out how to live in the world a little bit. So um, that's all that that was. That, and that happened five years ago, popped into my brain. And as far as finding time to write, like I've always felt like um, the more things I have to do, the more I get done. Mm-hmm. That's always been me. I'm not, yeah. I've always known that about myself. Uh, a, a review of your album says a short story about a war delivers in the most uncomfortable way. Hmm. Um, how does it feel to hear that as a review? I yeah. mean, do you feel your job as an artist is to make people feel kind of uncomfortable? I think uh, it's definitely not to make people uncomfortable. Well, not in a, not, yes. Uncomfortable not in a weird yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like uh, I heard someone say like an artist is supposed to simplify what people have overcomplicated and complicate what people have oversimplified. Mm. So in that sense, um, you're trying to disturb, right? And so I do think that that's accurate. And then also I think that uncomfort, um, if you look at that in a certain sense, um, what you're doing is creating, yeah, disturbance, surprise. Um, you're pushing people in a certain direction. I, I think that's all part of the artist's job for sure. So, uh, yeah. Um, I think if your intent is to make something a little uncomfortable, which this album is, then that's a good thing. If your intent was to make like, I don't know, something comforting, yeah, <laughs> then no, then you failed. But yeah, I think that's a, I take that as a compliment with this album. The intro track also talks about how this was a poem. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you, how do you turn a poem into a complete album? Well, um, that was like kind of tongue in cheek isn't the right word, but. I just like that idea of being like, this is like a poem or something, but it's not really a poem. It's like a whole, I just like the idea of saying that. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's it. what it is, is a little sketch to me. Like, it's just a vision. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not even, I call it a short story about a war and it does have a bit of a plot, but it's almost more like just a glimpse, an image that I saw in my mind of this other world with, all these characters and everything. And uh, so I think when I said it started out with a poem, I think what I mean is this is nothing but a sketch. This is nothing but a glimpse. It's just like a humble little short story. But there's a lot in there. Yeah. Uh, the other track also talks about, to me, it was a commentary on capitalism and uh, what it teaches kids in terms of order to, you know, to make it big, you have to crush the little guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um you you look at commercial hip hop today and for a while I think and you kind of feel like you could have the same commentary that mm-hmm. it's a celebration of capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do you view commercial hip hop this way? But also has it has in order to be commercial hip hop does it have to be this celebration of capitalism? And yeah. what has changed in the culture to kind of make it this way? Yeah. Well, I think that. Um in hip-hop, you get this really raw representation of the values of the culture, right? Um, and capitalism, to a great extent, is like competition to survive. Mm-hmm. And the stakes are so much higher in certain communities, you know, uh, the communities that produce hip-hop. And so, yeah, what you end up getting is like a celebration of that survival and what people have had to do to survive and... Um, and then with that comes an embrace of like that whole of, of capitalism, of the, you know, of the culture. So 
Um, so yeah, you definitely get that in hip hop in the rawest form, mm -hmm. you know, um, unmitigated, un unpolished, like just celebration of survival in a capitalistic, um, capitalist system. Um, it's difficult to challenge those values in hip hop. Some people do it and some people have done it in really power powerful ways. Um, some people like, I think the best of Kanye like critiques it and celebrates it because he's a right. product of it, right. you know? Right. Um, and that's always very interesting too. But yeah, absolutely. That song, um, you know, the sniper to me is just a metaphor for precisely that, for what we're taught in our system, which is survival. Um, survival is based on your ability to climb to a higher position that gives you safety and gives you power. So, um, yeah. Uh, another track, The Revolution slash The Establishment. Mm -hmm. It's two different looks about why and who, and we saw wars. You mm -hmm. have the revolutionaries and you have the war profiteers, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is a kind of an incredible track. Um, and I've played it many times. Uh, yeah. Why this track now and kind of yeah. how did this idea come to you? Yeah, so the interesting thing is like, you know, all these characters on this album that are, you know, different factions fighting different groups, they are to me first like, fictional like i saw them first in this fictional world but they're just clear parallels to our world right so to me that revolution and establishment you know those two groups they um they are in our world but they also to me represent rationales in our world more than just like actual like uh Lockheed and Martin and, uh, and, you know, and a revolutionary right. group, you know, they are, there are rationales for how we live. You know, some people, um, to me, what the revolution represents in that song are people that maybe have the right idea, but they've lost track of what they're for and they're consumed by what they're against. And then the establishment side to me, that represents people that, um, really believe that the violence that they're doing is in order to maintain order. Mm. And is just like being realistic and pragmatic. So that's kind of what that song represents. But like right now in our world with all sorts of conflict and tensions, it's like it's very clearly present. It's very evident in um, like almost literally in our world. The food part one, yeah. part two, part three, obviously breaking up, broken up in three different parts, but mm -hmm. not on the album, not back to back to back. Uh, why are these broken up in three different parts, but mm -hmm. also why are they spread out mm -hmm. throughout the album? To me, that's like, so this fool character on the album, he's like the hope, you know, he's like represents the possibility, this very surprising perspective that in this world of war and world at war, he just doesn't believe that bullets are real, essentially. Right. He's like thinks everyone is just shooting and running for no reason. So the reason why they're spread out to me is is. Because in my experience, that's how hope works. It's not like one moment that stays for a long time, you know, or like clarity. That's not how it works. It's like a glimpse once in a while. Um, and other than that, you're just trying to make your way. You're maybe mm -hmm. confused. You're maybe in a cloud. You're maybe in darkness. But that's how, to me, hope and clarity and perspective it's how they work you know you go through an ordinary day and you wake up and like if you're me i wake up and i like usually feel pretty bad and then like i don't know i just like i have moments where i feel great and 
then at the end, like my wife is like, how's your day? I'm like, it was good. <laughs> but like I've gone yeah. through so many crazy ups and downs and had these moments where I thought life was the most beautiful thing ever and had moments where I've been like, I'm not sure what the point is of it, <laughs> you know? Uh, so that's why they're spread out. That just feels like real life to me. Uh, what's up with the water, homie? You know what the water show me. Mm-hmm. They want to control the water. You know what the water told me. That life begins in the water. You spit on the full part two mm-hmm. uh, water. Uh, first, is this an ode to most Def's uh, New World Order? Uh, no, it's not. It's not. <laughs> I'm a huge most Def fan, but it's it's not. Uh, so, you know, that song is another one that, again, I saw it in this fictional world first, this water theme. Um, so it does have literal meaning in our world, like, you know, water rights and things. But to me, it's actually a metaphor for um, everything that is water-like in the sense that everything that is refreshing or life-giving or, um, you know, source of life. So it's like almost a metaphor for like the spiritual and the the more important, lasting things of life. Because uh, like I say at the start of that song, they were all at war over land, but the truth is in the water. Right. Like, so I think that's a lot like our lives. You know, we get consumed by all this stuff that, ultimately is not important like the only thing that's important basically is relationships that's basically the only thing that's really going to make you happy right. and we all know that but then we spend our lives and all of our time consumed with other things the second last track is get up mm-hmm. uh which gives you kind of like a it's a it's a hopeful kind of a call to action mm-hmm. track mm-hmm. um what well, how does this work within the story, but also what happens now after this track? Yeah. So to me, the way the album ends, you know, uh, there's, well, one song is called Another Year. And what I wanted to do with that song and towards the end of the album is just like really ground all this stuff in everyday ordinary life. It's like I was talking about like relationships are the only thing that's really important. You know, the album, this war metaphor for everything we've been talking about, capitalism and rationales for violence and all this stuff yes it's political but at the end of the day everything is just relationships and work you know and and so i wanted to ground all this stuff in this is this isn't about our political views this is about how we live every day and are we living out of fear or are we living out of love and that's that's basically it you know and then yeah then kind of wanted to end it on a triumphant sort of celebratory note uh Partly because I'm just, I don't like depressing people. And then also (laughs) partly because that's, at the end of the day, my sense of how to live, you know? Yes, this is my view of the world that it is, you could compare it to a war. And that's really dark. But I also believe that you go out and you live every day with as much joy as you can. Uh, If you take this whole album, is there a track on it for you that kind of, best represents the purpose of the album hmm. with this it might be a little hard with this but uh yeah, yeah. one or two tracks no for sure um the first the first song really introduces because i do think that that like that sniper character and that character's perspective is our default perspective in the world in our world that we live in so i do think that one's kind of representative um and i also think that the last song is sort of representative there's just a few lyrics that I feel like sum up the whole album. You know, I say, I wield weapons. Why? Because I feel threatened. Why? Because they wield weapons. Why? Because they feel threatened. You know, it's just sort of, to me, that's a summation of Mm -hmm. what I'm talking about, which is uh, 
how much fear drives our behavior in the world. Uh, you've had a good career so far, obviously. You. Just dropped this new album. Uh, do you have a, uh, for someone who's been trying to write a yeah. lyric for 80,000 years and yeah, yeah. has been failing lovely, <laughs> do you have a lyric that you've written yeah. that kind of is like your, oh shit, I can't yeah. believe I wrote that lyric type thing that you kind of look back or you read or you yeah. hear and you're like, you're like, damn. You're like yeah. damn, that was good. Uh, hmm. I'm trying to think, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, there's one I wrote that I said, um, oh, I say, uh, I'm trying to give life. I'm trying to give life with no midwife to help through the rigors, so I just got to push myself to deliver. I'm like, damn, that's good. <laughs> He's host of uh, Hip Hop Evolution on Netflix. Uh, his new album is a short story about a war. He's Shad. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks, for me, man. thanks, Thanks, man. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details.